I love that Jamaican music. I'm going to miss it. Thank you, Canaan, for doing a great job filling in for John. Uh, John, that's right. <laughs> uh, John had a birthday. Someone gave him a present uh, to take him to the Miami Dolphins game today. And I said, John, why would you want to go and see the Dolphins get beat by the Ravens? But he's a, he's a loyal fan, so he's going. And yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just <laughs> I'm one of those fair weather fans, you know. Every time I believe in the Dolphins, they let me down. I'm, I'm sorry, but, uh, but we're glad for John. You know, he's on vacation, and uh, watch TV today. Maybe you'll see him. He'll wave at us. Well, good morning. Um, if we haven't met before, it's great to have you here at Palm Beach Community Church. I'm excited about this morning as we're continuing this series on Love the Life You Live. Um, I don't know if you heard this week about the, uh, the minister and the Boy Scout, the computer executive. They're on a plane, kind of a small plane, and they're going to this destination about halfway there. Uh, the pilot came on the radio and said, listen, guys, I'm sorry to tell you this. The plane's going down. Uh, the bad news is uh, there's four of us on the plane and there's three parachutes. Um, I've got a wife with four little kids. I'm out of here. Pilot jumped out of the plane. The uh, uh, computer executive spoke up and said, you know, I'm one of the smartest guys in the whole world, and my company really needs me down in San Francisco. So, you know, he, he jumped out. He was gone. So then the minister turned to the Boy Scout and says, you know, you're young, and I've lived a long life, so, you know, why don't you just go ahead and take the last parachute, and, and I'll go down with a plane. What a nice minister, you know. And the uh, young Boy Scout turned to the uh, minister and says, just relax, Reverend. The smartest guy in the world just jumped out with my backpack on his back, <laughs> you know. And the, the moral of the story is high IQ never guarantees a good decision, Right? You've got to learn to love the life you live. Can you say that with me? You have to learn to love the life you live. A high IQ doesn't guarantee wise judgment, accurate assessment of oneself. Matter of fact, this morning, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself and, and how do you really know yourself? I mean, if you, if you take a mirror and you look in a mirror, what, what, what do you see? What do you see? Man, I, I see a very young, attractive guy in his mid-30s. Isn't, isn't that what you see? That's what you call delusional. Highly, very delusional. But when you look into a mirror, what, what do you see? You see your what? You see your face. You see yourself. But how do you really see yourself? How do you see your mind? Not that hard of a question. Apparently it is. First service, they didn't have any answers either. You know how you really, honestly, they didn't. Um, so you, you should feel good, okay? Um, now I've lost my train of thought. Um, how do you see yourself? How do you really see yourself? Well, you've got to tune in to your self-talk. You've got to tune in to your internal dialogue with yourself. And the truth is, what we say to ourselves today probably be one of the most important conversations that you will have today. As Plato put it, not Plato, Plato, okay? He said, thinking is the talking of the soul with itself. What are you saying to yourself today? You know, we 
each live kind of like three distinct lives, if we're honest. We have our public life when we come to church and we go to work, you know, and we interact with other people and community. That's our public life. And, and then we have our private life, kind of our life with our family and, and with ourselves and with our close friends and maybe even our alone time. Public life, private life, and then we have our deep inner life. Probably the most significant of the three, that's where we think. That's where we feel. That's where we reason. That's where we hear the voice of God in our lives. And the greatest battles we fight are in the silent chambers of our souls. It's there that we ask ourselves, you know, am I willing to be a person of total integrity? It's there we ask ourselves, am I willing to apologize when I, when I make a mistake, when I'm at fault? Am I willing to love someone unconditionally the way God really loves me? Am I willing to value someone else's happiness as much as I value my own? Do I really love other people? Do I really love Jesus more than I love myself? The greatest battles we fight are in the silent chambers of our souls. And it's in there that we learn to life It's in there that we learn to love the life that we live rather than loathing the life that we live. It's there that we say, I wasn't necessarily taught to be an honest person. I didn't grow up with unconditional love or how to forgive people generously, but I can choose to do so. I don't have to live according to my scripting or social mirrors or the expected path that other people take. With God's help, I have the power, I have the opportunity to decide my response to whatever happens to me. And no one can take that power away from you. Even Satan himself cannot take away that power that you have to choose to choose to respond to your circumstances, to choose to think for yourself. Only you have that power. Only you. And you can spend your life blaming other people, accusing your environment, other extrinsic factors for your problems. But doing that isn't going to make your problems go away. It's not going to make your problems any better. We've got to choose to love the life we live by learning. Either we choose to live our lives or we choose to let others live our lives for us. But if I choose with God's help, I can choose with God's help to see my problems, to own my problems, and to learn from them. You see, you have to learn to love the life you live by allowing life to be your teacher. So are you listening to life? Are you listening to your life experiences? You see, we learn by living. Can you say that with me? We learn by living. So are you welcoming the educational process in your life? Or are you fighting it? I mean, let's be honest. Do you find yourself in the school of hard knocks too much and too many of the times? Does it seem like you keep making the same mistakes in life over and over again? You see, we learn by 
living. And we need to reflect on our past mistakes. We learn by living, by reflecting back on our choices and our mistakes in life. Now, at this time, I've asked uh, Steve Nestor, one of our elders, to, uh, to join me on, on stage. Um, his wife, Lisa, says that he has a lot of past mistakes, so I, I thought it'd be helpful for, for Steve yes. to come up. And we all know Steve and love Steve. He is an incredible servant. But Steve, we probably don't know this, is a, is a phenomenal photographer. And uh, he, I think you have some pictures of some of your last pictures that you took on our last trip to uh, Africa. Uh, they let our church on, and isn't that a great picture, man? I just love that little girl. She's so cute. She's so cute. Don't go there, huh? She's so cute. She didn't um, want to be woken up, that's for sure. <laughs> and I wanted Steve to come and to talk about photography and talk about camera lenses and, and what lens does what and the value of different lenses in, in photography. So what you got for us there, Guy? Well, let's say uh, if I wanted to take a picture of everybody in here, I would do a wide-angle lens like this one's the shortest one, and I could get you know, the walls and everybody, and get that sort of a view. So you could stand right here and get everybody? Yep. Really? Yep. Wide angle, okay. Well, so that's wide angle. All right. And then um, to go the other extreme, if I wanted to get a picture of something that you can't really catch in your eye, you can't see with your naked eye, uh, the telephoto lens would be like uh, somebody up in the sound booth like Josh. I could get, you know, a nice picture of his head, uh, a close-up with that. <laughs> so. What he said earlier was he could... Literally zoom in on his nose hairs from here, yeah. right? So that's, that's amazing. That's called a telephoto. Telephoto, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And then we have, if you really want to get the details of something, you have a macro lens, which would be like... This is macro, not micro. Macro, macro. very close. Yeah. Okay. So you can get real close to something and magnify it, you know, 10, 20 times. So you get a couple inches from it when you're shooting. Yep. So you okay. can get a little bug or a leaf and get all the details that you can't see wow. with your naked eye. Wow. Macro lens. Yep. So that's great in the garden. And then I have kind of a, I guess you would call it a normal lens. Uh, mm. And this would help to see uh, some of the things you would normally see with your, with your naked eye. And uh, so that's the one I use the most when you carry around your camera. The normal lens. Yeah. Kind of most like the naked eye. Right. Very good, man. Yeah. So that's one I use the most. So. Well, thank you, Steve. I think as you You're see welcome. all this, I keep wondering how much does all this cost, you know? Maybe I can just take it home with me. Too much. But too much. <laughs> well, man, thank you for sharing that You're with welcome. us. Uh, see, the reality is life in a lot of ways is like a camera lens. Life is like a camera. We've got snapshots in our brain, don't we, in our mind. We've got pictures of, of past events and past circumstances and, and things we've done. And we hold on to those past mistakes, those past poor judgments. Life is like a lens. Now, we can learn from those past mistakes and those past pictures, and those past mistakes and pictures can help us where to go and where not to go and what to do and what not to do. But when it comes to reflecting on our past mistakes, we need to be careful not to have a, help me out, a telephoto lens. We don't need to be abusing ourselves and zooming in and beating ourselves up or a macro lens that we just get so close and we're so particular and we're just, you know, we're just, we're just hitting ourselves in the back. But we need more of a normal lens. Matter of fact, the Apostle John put it this way in 1 John uh, 1.9, John says, if we, what's the word? Confess our sins, he, and who's the he here? God. If we will confess our sins, God is what? 
faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Any and everything we've done that's bad or wrong, God is willing to forgive us if we do what? we got to confess it. Now, the word confess is a compound Greek word. It's the word homo legeo. Homo means the same. Legeo means to say or to speak. Homo legeo means to say or to say, to say or to speak the same thing with God. It means to, to agree with God. So to confess your sin means to agree with God that what you did, what you thought was wrong. You confess it. You learn from it. You see it. You own it. We don't abuse ourselves. It's not like a telephoto lens or a macro lens. It's probably not like a wide-angle lens because sometimes, you know what happens? We make bad choices. We kind of just want to wide-angle it. We just kind of want to forget about it. We just kind of want to sweep it under the carpet. We need a normal lens that will just naturally capture our mistakes as they happen. And we learn from them. And we learn from them by confessing them. It's a beautiful thing in life when you learn the spiritual discipline of confessing your sins to God. It helps you to let go of them and to forgive them as God forgives them and to move forward. You want to learn, you got to love the life you live by practicing the spiritual discipline of confession. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, The godly man may trip, how many times? Seven times but they'll get up again. But how many disasters? One disaster is enough to overflow the wicked, the foolish. Now, why is one disaster enough to overflow the wicked or the foolish? It's because they're not learning from their mistakes. You see, the only real mistake in life is the mistake of not learning from it. A psychologist from New York tells the story of how he and his professionals were getting together and his peers, and you probably have heard about this and seen this before, and they were studying rats, and they had this giant maze, you know, and and they would put the rat there, and they had cheese at the very end of the maze. And the rat initially, would, you know, wasn't sure exactly where to go, and it'd go down the wrong path, and it'd turn and go back the right way, and it, it kept bumping its head in different directions, but he'd eventually get to the end, and the rat would find the cheese. And then they take the same rat the next day and put it in the maze again. And it was amazing. The next day, he kind of got to the end a little faster. And by the third and fourth day, he would literally just run right through the maze to get the cheese. And then they decided what they would do. They take the rat. They put the rat in the maze, but they took away the cheese. And initially, you put that rat down, and the rat would just make its beeline right for the cheese. The cheese wasn't there. The second day, the rat would make a beeline for the cheese. The third day, the rat learned. It would stop going towards the cheese. The psychologist then said, that's the difference between rats and people. The rat stops. People keep going. The rats were learning from living. And too often, we kind of get in a rut, you know. We kind of get on this treadmill of a compulsion. We get caught in a pattern or a habit that's damaging to our lives, and we don't stop. We just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. We keep doing the same thing in our lives, week in and week out, repeating the same mistakes, fighting the same alligators, struggling with the same weaknesses. We don't really learn from our lives. We don't come clean 
We don't confess it. We don't see it and own it and grow in life because of it. You see, life ought to be kaizen. Kaizen is the Japanese word for the spirit of continuous improvement. And that should be our lives. We should be learning by living. The Roman philosopher Seneca puts it this way. As long as you live, keep learning how to live. We learn by living, by reflecting on our past mistakes. And number two, we learn as we learn to renew our minds. We need to renew our minds. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't be conformed to the, like the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How do you transform yourself? By what? By the what? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what's the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. See, the Apostle Paul knew that our inner conversations have a powerful effect on our own emotional well-being in learning to do the will of God. That's why he told the church at Philippi this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought. And usually when someone's writing or speaking, they come to their final thought. Or a lawyer in a debate, they usually save their strongest element, the most important point for last. And Paul comes to the end, he says, and now guys, now church, one final thought. And what's that thought? What he says, do what? Fix. Fix your thoughts. One final thought. This is important. Listen. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. What's he say next? Think. Fix your thoughts and think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. They say that as much as 77% of our thoughts are negative. The average human being self-talk, talk to themselves, 77% of the time, it's negative thoughts. A healthy person renews their mind. They renew their mind by not dwelling excessively on the past. They confess it. They see it. They own it. And then they move forward by fixing their thoughts on what's ahead. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was practicing this in his own life. In Philippians chapter 3, speaking about himself, he says this, Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it on my own. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I don't, I, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't think I'm perfect. I don't view myself as, as being perfect. But one thing I do, one thing I've really learned in life, forgetting what it lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I, what's the word? Press on. Spiritually healthy people have learned to renew their minds by harnessing their negative self-talk and choosing to dwell on what is good, on what is pure, what is holy, what is right. You know, over the years, uh, the Christian community specifically have, has learned to do different things to help us to renew our mind. One of the things that we have learned is the importance to daily read and reflect on scriptures. 
Without a doubt, it's one of the most important disciplines in my life is to get up early while it's still dark and to take the Word of God and not just read it, but to really meditate on it, to allow its words to to seep into my life, for it to be the standard to help me to grow and to change and to see myself. And the church and Christians for generations have learned the importance of this spiritual discipline of daily reading the Scriptures to renew our minds. Another discipline that we've learned over the years is what we call keeping the Sabbath day. And this is something that, you know, a a lot of the religions of the world uh, practice. Islam, it's Friday, Judaism, Judaism, there it is, is on what day? Saturday, and then we as the Christian church, we meet on what day? That's today, all right, very good, yeah. You know, it's because of the resurrection of Christ. And we've learned the importance of, of taking a day to, to renew our minds, to, to worship. Now, the academic world has expanded this concept of renewing the mind to include a sabbatical. Now, what's a sabbatical? I, I think someone got it right. That basically, after, like after every six years, they get a year off to go away and to study to keep their mind fresh as a professor. Now, how many of you have had a sabbatical? How many would like a sabbatical? Wouldn't it be nice to take a year off after six years of working, you know? I mean, when was the last time, though, that you, you took a Sunday off? You know what I mean? That you really, you know, you, you, you really refreshed yourself. You really renewed your mind. Now, you know, we talked about in the early service that, you know, one of the biblical things to do on Sunday is to come to church and to worship and then watch football. Because it renews your mind. It really does. I mean, football is a very strategic game. It requires a lot of thinking and planning to really understand what's going on with these teams. It takes a lot of fantasy football to really, you know, to really understand it and really renew your mind. And so they had a Sabbath day. They had a sabbatical. And, um, and we, through society, we've learned to do a lot of things to refresh ourselves. And you're here this morning largely because you've learned the importance of self-renewal, of renewing your mind. Life gets busy. A lot of urgent demands, activities, our kids' activities. And we begin to kind of feel ourselves kind of losing our edge, our energy, and our perspective. And life begins to become kind of like a run-on sentence that just goes and goes and goes and goes. And there's no commas, there's no pauses, there's no semicolons, there's no periods. We need to stop. We need to pause. We need to renew our minds by connecting with our Creator in worship and reflection. We need to stop and renew our minds by reading and reflecting on Scripture. We need to stop and renew our minds by focusing on what's good. By focusing on what lies ahead rather than being stuck in the past. I mean, when was the last time you really took a day like a Sunday and really stopped and really reflected and really got by yourself and really renewed your mind? Some of us are living life the way my sister, who's sitting here in the, right here in the front row, uh, the way she used to drive her car in high school. It was the big thing, you know, after class, she'd be out there in the parking lot, and she would take her car, and she would put her foot on the brake, and then she'd mash it on the gas as far as she could, you know, and she'd just sit there and smoke and burn and burn the tires. She was the king of burnouts, and a lot of us are living life that way. We create a lot of smoke and noise. We're really going nowhere. She's just sitting in the parking lot, you know, costing dad, who was buying the tires, a lot of money, Um, 
And that's why a lot of us are doing life. We're just smoking and a lot of activity and a lot of busyness. But we're really not moving forward. We need to learn by living. And we need to learn by listening. Can you say that with me? We learn by listening. We learn by listening to others. King Solomon said this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man, a wise person, does what? Listens to advice. Now, by now, you should have realized that God has given you two ears and one mouth, so you will listen twice as much as you speak, talk. That's right. We need to listen. See, a wise person not only learns from their past mistakes, a wise person learns from the failures and the mistakes of others. I mean, who has enough time to make all the mistakes in the world? A wise person listens and learns from the failures and the successes and the mistakes of others. We learn by listening to others. Solomon continues in chapter 13, verse 20, he says, Whoever walks or whoever does life or whoever listens with the wise becomes what? Wise. Hang out with wise people and you're going to get wiser. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You see, your friends are the future you. They are the future you. Walk with wise, you become wise. Listen to fools and you become a fool. So we learn by listening to others. And we learn, number two, by listening to ourselves. We need to learn to listen. We need to learn to listen to that still, small, quiet voice inside of each of us. Our conscience that very well at times can be the voice of God speaking to you. Now our conscience does two things. Our conscience convicts us. And guides us. What does our conscience do? It does what? Convicts us and guides us. Now, when most people kind of lean into their deep inner lives, regardless of their culture, regardless of their upbringing, regardless of their religion, you know, anthropologists, sociologists, as they've gone to different cultures all around the world, they find inside of all of us this what they call this, this ought. This moral ought inside of us that tells us there is a right and there is a wrong. There's something inside of us that tells us there should be justice. Matter of fact, it's one of the great arguments for the existence of God is this moral ought inside of us that God has imprinted on our soul Him, who He is. He's a God of justice. He's a God of right. He's a God of wrong. And all cultures across the world know that and realize that. Now, Jesus kind of put it this way in the Gospel of John, John chapter 16, uh, verse, verse 8. It says, and when he comes, now who's the he here in John 6, uh, verse 8? He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's trying to prepare his disciples for his departure. And uh, he says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will do what? He'll convict He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, there's someone who wants to convict us. There is someone out there called the Holy Spirit that wants to lead us to the truth. To the truth about life. 
to the truth about ourselves, to the truth about the fact that there is a God out there, and there's a God that loves us, and there's a God that loves us so much that he went to the extent to send his very own son. And that son loved us so much that he gave his very own life and shed his very own blood so that our sins could be forgiven, so we can have a peaceful conscience rather than a guilty conscience. There is that Holy Spirit inside of us that, that's convicting us. Jesus continues in John chapter 16 and verse 13. He says, and when the spirit of truth comes, he will do what? He'll guide you into all truth. God wants to guide you towards the truth. The problem is we drown out the very voice of God. We get so busy and so caught up. We got so much noise constantly going on in our lives that we don't hear the voice of God. Some of us make bad choices and bad choices and bad choices. And we begin to sear our conscience that we don't even hear that voice anymore. But we've all heard that voice. We've all heard the whisper of God. And when we hear that voice, either we choose at that point to act in harmony with that, and we experience peace and purpose, and we learn to listen for that voice, and we learn to respond to that voice, or what do we do? We hear that voice, and we don't listen. Usually the first prompting, nine out of ten times, is the right prompting. And then we don't listen to that voice, and we begin to rationalize it away, right? We begin to make excuses for ourselves. And then we begin to feel tension and disharmony. And we try to justify our decision. We need to make a commitment this morning to listen to and live by our conscience. And those that do experience a much deeper level of peace. They learn to love the life they live. They don't waste their life rationalizing, fighting themselves, blaming and accusing other people for the extrinsic conditions of their life. They've learned to listen to that voice within them that leads them to a life of truth. And when they do wrong and make bad choices and bad decisions, they're convicted. It's called genuine guilt. Not social pressure or scripted guilt. And our conscience becomes our teacher. Our conscience becomes our friend. It's kind of like a kind of like a, a compass or like a homing device on an airplane. If you've ever flown in a small plane before, you know the, the pilot sets the, the plane on a, on a track where it's going, and if it gets too far off course, all of a sudden an alarm goes off to say, wake up, you idiot, you know, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. And the pilot puts the plane back on the right direction. And you see, we've got that Holy Spirit inside of us that's trying to say, wake up, you idiot. You know, you're making a bad choice. You're going in the wrong direction. This is not a good thing to do. And either we listen to that voice and we get back in the right direction or we choose not to. So when it comes down to it, you know, life is really about one of two things, two choices. We can choose to uh, follow the clock some reason, I want the clock in this hand, okay? Oh, we can choose to follow the compass. Now, the clock is like our schedule, our calendar, our day timers, our outlook. You know, 
And what we do is most of us as human beings, we're constantly putting more and more things into our clock, right? We keep just filling it up with more and more stuff, just trying to cram more stuff into our life. And all of a sudden, the clock becomes the dictator in our life. We begin to become mastered by our schedule. And we're just running like a, a rat in a maze, trying to get to the end, to get up the next day to do what? Do the exact same thing over again, you know, and hopefully we'll get some cheese in the process, which is dinner. Okay, let's be clear on that. Okay, um, and, and life becomes like a clock, or life can be like a compass. Now, a compass points where? The right direction. What direction is that? North, true north. And a compass kind of represents our conscience and how God is always trying to, to point us in the right direction to honor Him, to trust Him, to believe in Him. Our conscience is trying to speak and to lead and to guide our lives to make good choices. But often we don't listen to our conscience, do we? So this morning, where are you headed? What's, what's driving your life, the clock or the compass? Now, what I'd like to do, I'd like to kind of perform a little experiment here, okay? I'd like to ask each of you just real quickly to close your eyes, not look around, and I'd like for you to think for a second with your eyes closed. You're not looking around. I see you're looking at me still. Close your eyes. Now, I want you, without looking around, I want you to point where you believe north to be. Can you do that right now? Just point. All of you point north. Keep pointing. Keep pointing. Come on, some of you aren't pointing. I got to keep waiting. I see you point. Everybody's pointing. Everybody's pointing. All right. Now, keep pointing. Now, open your eyes. Look at the hands. I mean, we definitely need a compass in this group. We're going in a thousand different directions. Now, do you think it's important to know, matter of fact, you know which way north is? About right like that. Some of you got it right, okay. A lot of you got it right. A lot of you got it wrong, by the way, okay. Now, do you think it's important to know which way is north in life? Yeah. You know, knowing north kind of gives us a sense of direction, sense of clarity, sense of purpose. They say when you're flying, and you're flying from, uh, from uh, San Francisco to Jerusalem, if you're off by one degree and you stay off by one degree, you end up in Moscow. So I think knowing north is important. Now, when it comes to the calendar and knowing north and true north, is that just my opinion, your opinion? I mean, do you think we need to vote on which way is north? You know, do we think we need to have a, like an open discussion, debate over it? No, north is a reality independent of us, right? It is a reality independent of us, just like God is a reality independent of us. And we can debate and we can talk about it, but just like north, he is a reality independent of us. And just like north gives us context and meaning, God gives us context and meaning to our life. He gives us a sense of hope and, dire a hope and direction. He helps us to learn how to love our life rather than loathing our life. And we can continue in life. We can continue to live a life in which we're following the, which is falling over here, the clock all the time, you know, and letting our schedule and the demands and the pressures of life to control life, or we can begin to live our life listening to the compass, listening to the voice of God that's trying to send us true north. So what's your choice this morning? 
Who are you going to listen to? Is it going to be the clock? Or is it going to be the compass? Can we bow our heads in prayer? What will your choice be this morning? To continue? To be that person that kind of just lives by the clock? Loathing through life? Or are you willing to kind of bow your knee and learn from your mistakes? Renew your mind. Listen to wise counsel and to the voice of God. Clock or compass? How do you want to live? By pressures or by priorities? Right now, will you listen to the voice of your conscience? Right now, will you, will you join me and say, God, help me to reflect on my past sins. Help me to reflect on my bad choices and to confess them. God, help me not just to look over them, and, but to own them and to see them and to agree with you and to learn from life. God, help me to learn by listening. God, help me to walk with the wise. Help me to listen to wise counsel. Help me most of all to listen to you, to listen to my conscience, to allow my life to be drawn north. To allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct my life. I ask you to respond to your conscience today. And maybe for some of you, for the first time in your life, maybe you you need to really say, God, I believe in you. I believe there's a true north. You are God and I am not. And maybe right now you need to say, God, I acknowledge that I have sinned, that I've made bad choices, and God, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, that I might live, that I might have life. I invite Christ into my life right now. Change me. To put his spirit and fill me with your spirit so that I can live a life truth. You know, one of the most liberating experiences in life is to make the commitment to simply respond to your conscience. For you right now to say, I'm going to live by my conscience. I'm going to always try my best, God, to do the right thing. That's my prayer for you this morning. For you to draw a line in the sand and to say, God, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to live by my conscience. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to direct my life. God, help us to live. Help us to learn. Help us to listen to your quiet, sweet voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.